Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're well. Um, sorry about my voice. Um, even though it's very sexy, obviously, I think we can all agree. Um, but I've just been very upset for a matter of days about what's happening in Texas and that we weren't able to stop it regarding Roe v. Wade, the complete rollback of reproductive rights that was so hard won for such, for such a long period of time. And how we're reading today about Florida investigating how to do the same how it was done in the middle of the night amid a huge climate crisis, amid a pandemic, amid so much political chaos, how they used, they weaponized all of this destruction to be able to sneak off and steal from 50% of the population. It is not pro-life. It is anti the life of the people you are forcing into sacrificing their bodies, in sacrificing their futures, in sacrificing their lives in many cases especially people who don't have money. This is a country that can't even feed the children that are here. This is a country that doesn't have health care that is accessible to everyone. This is a country that has a homelessness crisis that is far beyond even the point of just being called a humanitarian crisis. It's unlike anything we've ever seen. This is the country that is now forcing birth. That's all it is. They're forced birthers. They're not pro-life. They are anti-life. People don't give a shit about whatever's coming out of that womb. Once it's out, you're on your own and they'll punish you just for existing, especially if you're not a cis, white, straight, non-disabled man. Anyone else coming out of there is going to get punished for having been born against their will and against the will of their own parent. It's just stunning. Everyone, please follow Planned Parenthood. Um, they are straight on it at the moment. Uh, also follow, you know, ACLU, all the different people like Yellow Fund. Um, but Planned Parenthood have a petition. I've signed it. My followers are all signing it. Uh, please follow their work, support. We can, we can stop this in our tracks. Biden can intervene. And most of all, we can stop further states from now implementing this unbelievable change of policy. Today's episode is, um, oddly, it's a comedy episode. So I'm sorry about this intro, but this is something that's very close to my heart. It's why I get so many smear campaigns against me is because uh, the religious right fund misinformation about me because I'm a very loud pro-choice voice. Um, I had an abortion at 26, I've spoken about it a bunch on this podcast. I have zero regrets. I have only relief and I would have killed myself if I had been forced to have a baby back then. I was mentally ill, physically ill, didn't have a support network, didn't want a baby, still don't want a baby. Um, 
it would have destroyed my life. That's what we're legislating. That's what they're legislating. They're just going to ruin whoever's life they can just because that person has a uterus. No punishment for the owner of the sperm. Only punishment for the owner of the uterus. Unbelievable. Okay. So somehow I'm going to try and shift gears here. Today's episode is about depression and mental health, but it's with one of my favourite comedians of all time. His name is Simon Amstel. And I love him so much that I actually cancelled this um, interview once or maybe twice (laughs) before it came out because um, I was too scared because I was so intimidated by him, partially because I'm such a fan uh, and he's so smart and I just felt like a a lowly nothing who wouldn't be able to handle him. (laughs) Um, But also partially because he used to be quite formidable on television in the UK. Uh, He's got a very formidable sense of humour, or he did anyway. And he was on a show that that used to be very, I was on this show as well, where we were all just very snarky and sometimes a bit, a bit mean. And so I think a lot of people presumed I'm mean because I was on that show. And um, I made that presumption about him and just kept on freaking out. So finally, I was able to get the courage to speak to him. And he turned out to actually be probably the loveliest person I've ever met, the warmest and kindest and most humble and self-aware human being. And his comedy has been so unbelievably helpful to so many people. He's one of the first comedians. He was one of the first comedians in Britain to start talking about mental health and vulnerability and shame and grief and sexuality. Uh, He is gay and has had quite a journey through coming out that we talk about a little bit in this episode. Uh, We talk about him getting diagnosed with depression and just generally his mental health and anxieties through his life, his family dynamics. It was such an interesting chat. He also taught me about ayahuasca, which I know is kind of, you know, a buzzy topic at the moment. Some people are talking about it as a a means to uh, aid mental health, I think is a fair thing to say. I don't think anyone's saying that it just cures mental health issues. I think that's a really dangerous rhetoric to push, but it can help some people and elevate some people's way of thinking or help them work through shame or anything painful that they're going through. And I've been super curious about it because I've been very open on this podcast about the fact that I don't really feel as many things as I would like to feel because I'm so traumatized from my childhood. And so I was very, very interested in hearing about ayahuasca and uh, kind of medical mushrooms that have also been a part of his journey. Um, He also teaches me what a spirit hole is. And yes, it is a little bit sexual. Um, So the story is just so funny and so vulnerable. It's actually quite unbelievable how much he's willing to share with everyone just in the name of kind of community and making sure that not only does he not feel uh, shamed by keeping these secrets, but also he wants everyone else to feel seen and heard and understood and maybe a bit more safe in expressing themselves. He has the biggest heart and the funniest laugh. And I'll never forget that I got to interview someone that I've admired so much for such a long time. I really wanted to like, be him when I was younger. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed his work for such a long time. And if you are in the United Kingdom and you want to go and see him live, his new show is going to be un- 
unbelievable. His tour starts September 9th and he's taking it to lots of different cities in the UK. And you can just check out where at his website, simonamstel.com. It ends in London at the Palladium on November 9th. And I so wish that I was able to be there to see it with all of you because it is just going to be wonderful, just like all of his other shows that he's ever done ever. And I really hope you enjoy this extraordinarily open chat that made me so happy in a week where I really needed some light amongst, amidst, rather, all of this darkness. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the unicorn that is Simon Amstel. Simon Amstel, I cannot believe you're here. Hello, welcome to Iway. Thank you. I can't believe I'm here, but I am here. You are. You are. I have proof. I can see you. I um, I was telling you this the other day on the phone, but I uh, I was very intimidated about even asking you to come onto my podcast. I was really afraid, like genuinely afraid. And then I even cancelled one time because I just didn't feel ready. And I uh, and I haven't done that with almost any other guests. <laughs> And then, so when, and then when speaking to you on the phone, I was like, oh, he's the he's the loveliest man in the world. Why on earth was I so afraid? But I think it's because we didn't really know each other when we were younger. You know, we, we, we did the same show, but at different times in the UK. That was T4, you know, and Pop World, etc. All of that. Um, but we didn't really get to know each other. And I think because of what your sort of TV persona was 10, 15 years ago, I think I probably thought you were much scarier than you actually are because the show that we did was quite like, it was formidable and, you know, we were formidable and we would sort of like punch up against pop stars and, you know, powerful people. And uh, it was a little bit snarky at times and all these different things. It was part of the entertainment of the show. But I guess I thought that that's what you were like all the time. And I was wondering if other people used to think that about you. Oh. I also loved how you were, by the way. Like, you're truly one of my favourite broadcasters of all time. I just thought you'd be scary and you're actually really lovely. Um, thank you. I'm overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, well, as you can tell from this moment now, uh, I'm actually just very sensitive. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I don't know. I sort of feel like people are just different wherever they are. So there mm. is no one fixed person i think so you're different with your mum to how you are with your lover so like i'll speak for yourself but (laughs) well um so of course i was not like just constantly sarcastic 24 hours a day and and cheeky i you know sometimes i was just asleep totally well i think i the only reason i say this i think is also because i think a lot of people had that misconception about me I think that people thought all of us were a specific type of humour all the time or a specific type of person or, you know, I think that, that, I don't know, like I I think some people didn't see that a lot of us were actually very vulnerable and struggling with our own shit and making more fun of ourselves than we ever were of anyone else. Uh, And 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 a lot of people just didn't care at all (laughs) (laughs) about either of us. I'd say the vast majority, yeah. I feel so grateful for having been able to 
grow up watching you on telly like you were such a like big staple of my life and then to watch you leave uh, pop world go on to do buzzcocks which I also loved and then you became you've become truly like one of my favorite stand-ups of all time and oh one of my goodness. favorite voices no but I seriously I really love you and I appreciate you and I think it comes from the fact that there weren't many people talking about mental health when you started not in the way that you did in this completely just almost like reckless uh shameless way uh even if you yourself were still feeling shame while doing so you you destigmatize so many difficult conversations um and you allowed like kind of our generation to start to feel safe through your comedy and Britain isn't known for being open about emotional vulnerability or mental health and I guess that's why I was so thrilled to have you on the podcast even though I tried to cancel it because I got afraid (laughs) (laughs) so funny yeah that that, yeah I just thought you had something else to do and it turns out I got afraid no I was afraid (laughs) ridiculous no Um, well thanks for saying all those nice things that's really lovely and uh, I agree with all of them. Yeah. Um, talk to me about your mental health. Like how how early did this journey of yours start? How early did you realise that you either weren't happy or were different? You felt uncomfortable? I feel like I didn't really hear the, the phrase mental health much uh, until, I don't know, a few years ago. I might just not have been paying attention. But I had like a, like one of my stand-up specials was called uh, Numb which we did for the BBC a while ago. And it was about like not being able to feel anything, but it wasn't, I didn't know, like I didn't even know when I went to therapy for the first time that I had depression. I thought I was just a bit scared about getting older. And uh, she said I had classic depression. (laughs) And uh, it just seemed absurd to me that um, that would be the case. And also like, so like- I read somewhere that when she said that you were surprised and you were like, oh, I thought I was just profound. Which I loved. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wanted to be more special than just having classic depression. So, were you just like a happy kid, happy teenager, happy at school? Were you well popular? I think I did manage to find uh, stuff that made me really happy. I really focused on showbiz quite early, so I was doing like my first stand gig at thirteen. I was also on the school radio station and and getting good parts in the school musical and going to a Saturday morning drama club. So I found where, and and that only happened, all that sort of stuff only really happened because I was so shy as a kid. Uh, Mrs. Posner at the school parents evening told my mum and dad that I should go to the Saturday morning drama school and it would get me out of my shell. And it really did. It really worked. I read something about you being so shy that when you were little, like really little, you really hoped you'd have a sister so that you'd have someone you could marry which was so (laughs) fucking sweet (laughs) yeah it's true and then I did have a sister but she refused like fair fair she's married some some accountant called Johnny can you imagine I mean I'm right here (laughs) I'm on TV (laughs) yeah yeah I was really shy so I went to that drama club and then I was just I was just in love with all the performance uh um uh what's the word after performance (laughs) aspect the performance aspect aspect i I can't think of the word aspect there that's why she's with johnny (laughs) um did you find your kind of people in doing so yes i think so and and found a way to feel comfortable with those people it was still quite tricky doing one-on-one conversations I was like really good in front of an audience. I felt totally confident and in my element in front of an audience. And then still 
parties were full of anxiety. Um, and then I suppose then there's a the whole thing about uh, around 13, 14, I start to realise isn't quite the right word because I was in such d- denial. But I, I was like, oh, no, I like boys. I want to kiss boys. <laughs> what am I going to do about that? And so then if I'd felt at all comfortable before that, suddenly my whole body is having to constrict itself rather than being exposed as a gay person in Gants Hill, Essex, where this would not have been all right. No, indeed. And also, you know, not stereotype anyone, but within any religion, there are also like extra, sometimes external feelings of shame around sexuality. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of culturally Jewish. So there wasn't like a huge, it wasn't like the rabbi was going to come and uh, perform an intervention. But there was, there was that sort of, um, there was the feeling of, well, I don't know what the feeling, it was just, it was just, imp- it just felt impossible. It just felt like there was just no way I was ever going to even be able to look at the beautiful boy playing Joseph in the school musical even though I was Pharaoh, it was, it was, it was impossible. Mm. And so, and I had to do all that on my own, I suppose. I mean, this is all fairly standard stuff, but I think it explains, explains why uh, I ended up having to learn how to cry in therapy because I'd had to repress a lot of feelings from around, certainly from around the age of 13, when I started to feel things for boys, then, you know, I had to sort of like make up a new person to be in order to feel safe. And so that's really, uh, that's not, that's not healthy, is it? <laughs> no, no, I, I, so, I so, so, so relate. Like, I mean, I didn't come out until I was about 30, maybe 29, 30. And so like that, that feeling where you just switch a whole part of yourself off is just, it detaches you from yourself. And, you know, you made that show numb. And I, I wonder if, that numbness came from the separation of yourself versus the person you projected. Yeah. Do you like Gabor Mate? Have you had him on this podcast? I I do. I do. And uh, you and I have a shared, like I've spoken about this a lot on this podcast that, that um, the heroin line specifically, where I think it was Gabor Mate who said that, you know, to someone who was a heroin addict, well done for finding heroin, like well done for finding something to ease your pain. Uh, you know, as just like a journey of acceptance rather than giving someone shame and pushing them further into the shadows, just get, making them understand that it was a survival mechanism. I talk about that a lot in regards to eating disorders. Like it's a, you should never feel ashamed of what you had to do to survive. You're still here because of it. Mm. And now it's time to move on from it, but to look yeah. at it as part of your journey rather than a mistake. And the other thing I was going to say was that he talks about um, that kids need two things i'm not gonna say this quite right you should really get gabor mate on the podcast but yeah actually you know what why don't you just leave and i'll uh, i'll get on the phone <laughs> it took so long to arrange i'm here now yeah. um gabor mate says kids need two things one is uh acceptance so that you know they're fed and clothes yeah. and like kind of just love basically and then the other thing is they need to feel like they can be authentic Mm-hmm. And if you, what will happen if you feel like your authenticity will stop the love is you break off the authenticity, mm. but you need it. You, it's, you, you know, you're, you're not uh, an integrated whole self without the authenticity as well. And I think that's probably why I love doing stand-up comedy as well, 
is because I get to tell the truth on stage and it's and it receives like all this um it's gonna say love I think I've got over that idea uh well uh, laughter let's just say laughter <laughs> um rather than you know every every time I'm like oh god I'm scared of saying this thing surely this time people will say well that that you've gone too far you you have to leave the country now but each time they seem to go, oh, this is great, this is very funny, we feel this too, or at least, oh, that's quite odd, but we're still sat here, we haven't walked out the room. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like a compulsion to tell the truth because I wasn't able to for so long. I think that's how long. How long was it until you came, like how old were you when you finally came out? 21. 21. I did, it was just when I started Pop World, actually. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, I, and, yeah. And, and the the motivation was I'd better sort this out now because I'm on terrestrial television, albeit quite early on a Sunday morning, and I'm about to be like a closeted TV presenter. I didn't want that. I thought that's going to be. A, I thought if what could happen is people will find out <laughs> before I've even told myself that it's okay. And so then I uh, went to Miami and uh, found what. Turned out to be my first boyfriend and lost my virginity on a in a kitchen. On a <laughs> <laughs> and um and then felt like, okay, oh cool, this okay, I've got it. I know who I am. I'm actually quite good at it. Let's let's uh let's go and be out. And then I would then I just sort of like burst out in as happy and joyful way as possible. But actually, actually, while I think about it, I was still a bit constricted because I wanted to be gay in a way that wasn't going to scare anyone, wasn't going to upset anyone. What, what do you What do you mean? I wanted to not conform to any of the stereotypes in my head, so I didn't want to be uh, promiscuous or predatory. I was like really pleased that my straight friend Dan, who you know, yes. was having much more sex than I was, and he was a straight man. And I was like, these straight people very promiscuous, whereas I. <laughs> A gay man, not much sex at all, actually. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. So oh, that, God. you know, that lasted a long time until I realised what I was doing, you know, uh, trying to be accepted within this heteropatriarchy. I yeah. thought that would be the sort of sentence you'd I've like a, in this I've podcast. A, I, oh, yes, we love that. It's our favourite. It's, it's a drinking game. Whenever anyone says it, we all take a shot of heroin. Um, so I, uh, yeah, okay. So I, I have quite a lot of uh, friends, especially ones who came out around that same time. I think the next generation have got like a, a much more kind of accepting not all, not everywhere, but but some, I guess in the West, uh, teenagers have at least the kind of like vocabulary, there's a little bit more freedom. But I found that a lot of my friends who came out, in particular gay men, were very afraid of also seeming camp in any way, quote unquote. Sure, you know, yeah. they, they were very like determined to, to come across as very, quote unquote, straight. And they would only ever try to date straight men, like they didn't want to date other gay men, because somehow that made them feel gayer. Uh, and it was just like a really stressful time where I feel like it, it just, oh God, it, it meant that everyone was always like kind of functioning at 50% of access to happiness or authenticity. That's a nice way of I saying think. Yeah, that's true. And so when you did come out, you had a, a less than ideal reaction from your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were in Gantzil Essex, so... No, 100%. Like- Although I don't blame any of our parents as explicitly as like, I think I would I if they'd grown parents. up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I blame your parents. Uh, no, but I um, but I, I feel as though 
If our parents had grown up with the internet the way that we did, I think I would feel much angrier with them. But I'm very, I'm very open to the idea that people are inherently a product of their environment. And so I try to cut some slack for people who just, you know, believe what they are told again and again and again everywhere and fear-mongered and terrified around this thing. Um, but I imagine that your family having like, you know, various members of your family having a kind of like spectrum of reactions uh, to your sexuality. Uh, your dad in particular, I think, finding it maybe the hardest to to grapple with. Uh, I imagine that also, contrib- did that further contribute to the shame or at that point were you so firmly kind of okay with who you were that it didn't um damage you no it, it contributed okay, uh, but- <laughs> because i what did, i wrote something what was it it was something like the problem with needing people to love you despite who you are is you end up subtly compromising for them and then rather than being your full joyful self you end up um you end up repressing yourself in the way they would like to repress you that's not exactly what I wrote. What I wrote was slightly better and, and uh, you can probably find it on the internet. But, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't, I was, I was, I still wanted their love, their approval. And it was, I, you know, eventually I realised um, it wasn't going to come from me um, twisting myself into something else. I'd done enough of that. And uh, yeah, I sort of, I guess I eventually just sort of let them come to me, which happened. In the end, they sort of just, one day my dad was just fine. One, just one day he was just fine. Yeah, he just texted you and he was okay. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it just didn't make any, I was like, but I didn't win this from you. I did, he was just fine one day. <laughs> That's so <laughs> It's so underwhelming, isn't it? It's yeah. so hilariously underwhelming, but great yeah. and kind of much more peaceful than a huge maybe reckoning. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what you would have found personally satisfying, but I'm glad that they have now come around. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 
1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. So therapy was a big part of you kind of like overcoming your shame and anxiety and depression, but also ayahuasca. Can you, I'm so curious about ayahuasca. I'm so curious about mushrooms. I, uh, I also, I'm very afraid of them because I don't know anything and always like, you know, ignorance and fear often come hand in hand. I would love to talk to you about how it's impacted your mental health, your shame and your sense of freedom. Um, so you went 10 years ago or 12 years ago for the first time you went to Peru? Yes. Uh, yes. And I was, re- that's what, it was just after making a show that was called Numb. So I really like couldn't feel anything. I, I'd got, I'd got like beyond sad <laughs> to <laughs> actually can't feel anymore. Nothing to lose, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then my friend Ian uh, from, from school, had come back from the rainforest. It was like this, it was such a sort of like, it's like a lad's dinner in like an Indian restaurant or something. And it was, and then he, he told us this story, which just blew everyone's minds about meeting a shaman and having sex with the universe. And, uh, and it was like, it was just bizarre. And, uh, but I thought I've, I, whatever that is, I have to have that. That's that's because he looked like he was eight years old. He had so much joy. Um, I thought, oh my god, that, there's some joy that I'm missing right there. And uh, so I just, without much research, really, just like booked booked a ticket to the first retreat I could find that looked halfway legitimate online. And uh, luckily, it was a really good place. And through, uh, oh, I should sort of explain. If anyone doesn't know, you sort of sit in a circle. There are like the, there are these ceremonies. You're in a kind of teepee structure. There's a lot of people talk about the throwing up that's involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, but there's all different kinds of purging that can happen. There's like the throwing up. There's like quite a bit of shitting sometimes. There's like laughing, dancing, crying. I I did a bit of everything because it was very expensive, and <laughs> I. <laughs> well, you wanted to get your money's worth. <laughs> yeah, I was. I've come a long way. <laughs> If I don't get diarrhea, something is wrong. (laughs) 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 That's great. Okay, so you did everything. Yeah. Hopefully not all at the same time. uh, No. And what, what, what's it, but no, but wait, what's the actual feeling? What's the actual feeling like? You know, so you, you drink this sort of tea, right? This, uh, it's like a kind of, it's a concoction. Maybe it's not a tea, but I always yeah. in drink it's form. A brew, it's like, a, like brew. a sludgy brew. 
Yeah. It's uh, smooth enough. It, okay. but it, <laughs> Fair enough. All right. But it doesn't taste very nice. It's not like a pleasant, it's not like a nice drink to have. Is it and, foul um, or is it just sort of like earthy? They they sort of they sort of like um they really sell it as foul. And so by the time you drink it, it's like, oh, it's not that bad. Okay, fine. Good. It's Good okay. to know. And then how soon after drinking it do you start to feel something? I mean, I don't even know if you were aware of time at that point. Um, well, in the first, there were about four ceremonies at this retreat. In the first one, nothing happened for me at all because I was like trying so hard to let go. I was singing in my head, let it be. Oh my God. <laughs> and for four hours, nothing was happening at all. And everyone's having these experiences. They're crying and they're throwing up. And like this, and I'm just sat there like, desperately trying to let go and um and then they the ceremony was over and they lit the candles and they said thank you all very much and then I threw up (laughs) 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 so loudly so violently in front of everyone in the light and I was like and then the shaman's laughing as well that was the other thing I was like this isn't funny this isn't funny (laughs) because I'm throwing up in front of everyone so you sort of so that was good so that was the first night where I learned it was because I was a choice. I remember this is why uh, it hadn't gone so well. Although I'd learned something, so it kind of did go well. There was a choice between, do you want to sit on a kind of yoga mat thing or in a rocking chair? And I thought, I'm, I'm a young man. I don't need to sit in a rocking chair. And I've done a bit of yoga. I can sit on the yoga mat. And my like back just hurt for four hours. And I was like unhappy and... Uh, so in the second ceremony, I sat in that rocking chair and within about half an hour, uh, I threw up and then these visions start happening. It's a vision-inducing medicine and it somehow gives you everything you need. It somehow, so I went in there with depression and it somehow, uh, I guess, took me to a moment in time when I was a baby where it seems like this is like the root cause of all the anxiety. This is like the root moment. Like even before, oh God, I like boys. What do I do about that? It's like I'm a baby and my uh, my parents arguing. I spoke about it in a Netflix special. My dad, um, I have a vision of my dad like slapping my mum around the face and my whole baby self tenses and I'm really I'm really experiencing this as the baby in the ceremony I'm aware that I'm in a room with other people but I'm experiencing this as the baby I'm in a pram and my stomach tightens my shoulders round and I'm desperate to do something to stop this man from hurting my mum because if she dies I die she's got the milk so you know I think that's (laughs) part of it and maybe empathy maybe I also love her and um so somehow feeling all that and it's really i'm really feeling it in my body this is why it's like so so visceral beyond it's so visceral it's so beyond talking therapy because you're like you're there you are the baby and then you're feeling all this like responsibility to do something and then something in the medicine says you were just a baby you couldn't even crawl and suddenly all this um i suppose forgiveness for your baby self starts to be felt and um, I start to see all the links. I was like, oh, wow. There's, look, like, even my body, I'm like, oh, that's why I've always, like, had this posture. I'm desperate, like, desperately trying to, like, stand up straight the whole time. That's why I'm, like, nervous and anxious and eventually have stopped being able to feel anything. 
because of like it was for, there was at least the perception of um unsafety in my very early childhood and so um after that once i get that and i forgive myself i was just a baby then i'm just dancing for the rest of the ceremony and having just the most delightful time so and there are other was, people around and you're up and you're dancing around them through them oh I, i'm staying in my place and i'm just um i think i was just maybe just dancing in the rocking chair like just like my arms were just sort of floating about and i was just sort wow. of being, just this freedom this like like a lack of inhibition a lack of inhibition lack of anxiety lack of lack of um lack of confusion i suppose about like why why can't i just feel all right <laughs> You know, why can't I just feel okay with another human being without feeling like I have to do something to make it better? Mm. And uh, it was, God, it was amazing. It was really amazing. It's also amazing then, like how, how well you remember this. I mean, this is over a decade ago and it's clearly so poignant to you. I know you've also then had to like talk about it a lot of times that so stayed fresh, but it seems so poignant to you that like, it feels as though it happened yesterday, like the way you describe it. Yeah, when I, I I don't think about it often, but then when I start talking about it, it's, I can really remember the, the moment. And I've written about it a bit. And that's also something that I didn't really realise, you know, and I've got a few friends who've been doing ayahuasca and I've seen them, I've seen, I'd say all of them have had this like incredible steep upward trajectory, especially in the last year. I think the, I think COVID kind of gave people, you know, a, a I get the space to maybe realise that I really have to do something about how unhappy I am. And so it prompted people to do kind of more, um, I mean, use the word extreme just for lack of a better word, but um, more hands-on approaches and more unusual approaches, I guess, to or non-traditional approaches to um, sorting out their mental health. Uh, but I didn't realise that you're so aware and awake and you can remember it afterwards. I guess my fear is, and I don't think I'm alone in this, My fear, maybe you felt the same way, but my fear is just that it'll psychoactively like change my brain and I'll become a different person or I will, you know, lose any of my cognitive faculties and I'll be unconscious and therefore unsafe in the moment. Like I have all these kind of terrors and prejudices in my head and it's really interesting to see like just how clearly aware you were and almost kind of straddling like two spaces all at once. You know, you know, you're in the room, but you're also the baby and you're aware of both. That's so interesting to me. Yeah, I guess they get the dose right, something so that you're not completely lost and you're, you feel very held. You know, there are these there are these shamans and there's lots of people like even if you need to go to the toilet, which you will do. You like you raise your hand and like somebody will come and guide you to a toilet. You're like you're you're completely held. Uh, I suppose I'm about to say in the space, but that seems such a cliche thing to say. You can't say space on the podcast, can you? Like this, <laughs> somebody will have to drink their tequila. Oh God, I said space. I feel held in the space. Ah, oh, it used to be funny. <laughs> and then you did ayahuasca. No. Um... <laughs> Did you have any? Did you have any fear that it? Because I, I know that some of my friends have been afraid to try it because they're, especially the comedians, they're afraid that they'll stop being funny or something after it. Like some, a lot of there's a huge misconception that hanging on to trauma will keep you funny, keep you sharp, keep you I don't know, like cranky and observational, whatever your style may be. Did you have that fear, or you were just so numb at that point you were like, "Fuck it, I have nothing to lose." I yeah, I, I just thought I'd rather be well, and I, I didn't see it as I didn't see them as being in opposition, like. I find I get worried that I'm going to write the same joke again if I st if I remain the same. So mm. I'm into changing and 
transforming as much as possible. Like not <laughs> not just for the sake of it, but like I'm really into healing. Uh, so that um, I don't know. I don't want to be sort of like trotting out another stand-up special where I sort of play this anxious character. So I did that. That's that guy now. You can like watch that. That's there if you want it. And now there's this other thing, which is um, growth. A bit more like this talk, a bit more. Yeah, there's, there's growth. I thought you said gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some stories about sex parties, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah, um, it's it's a different, it's like there's an evolution to the person that you're watching. And it's, that feels much more exciting than like just seeing this, I don't know, this sort of cartoon character on stage. I mean, that's also, I mean, I like cartoon characters as well, but I want, I, you know, I'm interested in like, I'm going to be dead at some point. What can I, who, who can I, how, how much can I open up? How honest, how free can I be in this world? How, how myself can I actually be before someone says, well, that's, that's enough now. That's yeah, exciting. I totally, I, to- I feel exactly the same way. I feel, I truly, I feel so exactly the same way. And it's why I'm so dedicated to being so publicly vulnerable and myself uh, at all costs, because I'm just like, I'm interested in seeing myself develop. And I know that I won't develop unless I'm really fully authentic all of the time, even if that's sometimes like ugly or embarrassing or imperfect. At least I know that I'm being liked or disliked for who I am rather than for who I'm projecting. Mm. Does Hard that make for you sense? As well, because with, if you're a comedian, it's sort of, it's sort of accepted within the job that you're saying yes, naughty totally. things. And you're just there, I don't know, saying all these things from, from, from a position that isn't generally, uh, no, nobody's asked, have they? No. You know, but what's like, funny? But what's funny is that, like, I'm not a, I'm not stand up comedian. Like, I'm not a, a comedian. But everything I've ever done has been only through the lens of comedy. Like, I've only done comedic work. I've done zero, so apart from maybe my documentary about the harm of pornography, which was still horribly silly, unfortunately. But like, <laughs> nothing I've ever done has yeah. been uh, serious ever. And so it's okay. this funny thing where if you're not a stand-up, and also I think if you're a woman, and I think because some of the other like fashion stuff I did, they were just sort of like, you can't ever be kidding. Like whenever I'm joking, no one ever takes it ever as a joke. All my sarcasm is taken like as it's definitely something completely serious and sincere. And I have this mm. reputation of being like deeply sincere all the time and I'm never being sincere. <laughs> Maybe you should get a funny hat. Would that you're right, that's, that might help. A yeah. funny hat. Sort of wear a headband with a dick on it or something like that. I don't know. But, um, no, no like, but, a clown, but, like a clown hat. That's but what you regard, need. But again, regardless of whether it's easier for you or for me, like, or regard, regardless of whether I'm a comedian and therefore I'm allowed or I'm not a comedian, therefore I'm not allowed. I think what's been liberating is me deciding that it just doesn't matter the context through which people see me be myself. It doesn't matter if they're going to be okay with it because I, it doesn't matter if I'm allowed because I do a certain job or have a certain title. The key is to become okay with who you are fundamentally and there shouldn't be any kind of what am I trying to say like there should never have to be a caveat does that make sense yes I think, I think that's you where carry I'm on as you are seems to all be going very well <laughs> we'll see we'll see but um, I would I would uh, I would say the hat would be a good okay <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll strongly consider it 
So then you didn't do ayahuasca again for 10 years, right? Mm. Is that because then you kind of felt as though you'd made this huge shift? Were you feeling generally okay for that following 10 years? I mean, in that time, you also got diagnosed with classic depression. I, I, I I went to the therapist. I said, I think... I think I'm good. And she agreed. And, uh, and that was good. And I also had just started a relationship, which I'm still in. And so, um, and I'm also sort of more fulfilled, well, not more fulfilled. I mean, I was really fulfilled when I was doing all that TV stuff you were talking about, but, uh, I became bored by it. And so I'm now, uh, really fulfilled, uh, in the, some of the new stuff I'm doing, whether it's stand up or like, Directing, film or something. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like, yeah, what do I, yeah, I, I, the only reason I had to, I felt like I had to go back again was because I was about to turn 40. And I didn't know how to do that. That was because everything in the culture says, don't become 40. Yeah. <laughs> you mad. talk a lot about the, the fact that when people say, gosh, you don't look 40 as if that's a compliment, but actually it's not because then they're saying that when you do look 40, you'll be disgusting. Yeah disgusting yeah yeah i'm so interested in this because i love getting older like i've always wanted to be older i've despised being young my whole life i've despised looking young and being young i uh, what do you just mean, want to why? be because you had difficult experiences or what, what do you mean you want to get i think older? i think what it's because mean? i think childhood and teen years were shit but also all of the happy content cool wise people i knew were always old all the people i looked up to uh, they were yeah. all older people. I enjoyed their interviews the most. I enjoyed their books. I enjoyed talking to old people so much more than I did people my own age. So I always just thought, oh, fucking hell. And then also I learned that apparently the first cells to die in your brain are the ones that kind of carry your anxiety. So I was like, Say that oh. again, the first cells, the first cells to, to, di- to start to die in your oh, brain I see, as you get the older. Anxious ones. Yeah. And so- <laughs> they're the anxious ones. So like, you're just fucking chilling. Like, I was like, I that is that the... Oh, well, that's, that's, that's anxious that's, old ladies that you see on the street, sort of like just full of terror. Useful, their... useful, anxious cells. I mean, sometimes it is generally just scary. It's sensible to be anxious because something scary yeah. is happening. But, um, but I do think that I was just, I just always thought that life would be better when I had more wisdom, had more answers. And when I was a bit more, I don't know, like invisible to the world. Like I could just kind of like, we make old people, unfortunately, but very un- invisible and they get to just kind of potter around and do their own thing. What was it about getting older that scared you? Was it be- was it becoming invisible? Was it becoming the idea of less attractive? Like what scared you? Oh yeah, all the stuff that uh, this, like when I went to the rainforest again, uh, I looked around, it was like day two or three, and I, I suddenly like thought, oh, there's nothing here amongst these trees that says that getting older is a problem or something that like you could, you must do everything you can to reverse. Like there was nothing there that said it was a problem. So, oh, this is a, this is a cultural thing. This isn't, this hasn't come from within my body, but it's is been this while you're in an ayahuasca state that you're starting? No, to no, no. That. This oh. is just me sober. Sometimes I'll just be really wise. <laughs> um yeah so what was it i don't know i think partly like um you know my type uh for a long time was like a kind of like a sort of younger version of myself and like Mm -hmm. and so i and so when you sort of like get further and further away from your type you imagine yourself becoming less attractive because you're maybe less you will become less attractive to yourself but actually that type isn't so fixed anymore like it was like ridiculous. Like my, I mean, the sort of people I went for, it was just like, but I, my type for a long time was like someone who'd got their jumper stuck over their head. Like that sort of like vulnerable 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, no, oh, man. my God. Same, Simon. Same. Right. Someone who like needed help, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, so I don't know what. So somehow, I, I yeah, so I went to Peru again and somehow I can't remember what happened, but I feel all right about it now. I, I mean, I, I read about I read right. about you taking all your clothes off. Was that that? Oh time? yeah, that's what happened. So I, <laughs> so I ended up, yeah, dancing around naked, slapping my own bum, beating my chest, and uh, this is quite like near the end of the ceremony. And I'm like making all these wild animal noises. And then how one many? Of the wait, how many? Wait, how many people were in the room? There's about 20, 20 people in the room. Yeah, and you didn't know them at all. Not really, no. And did any of them know who you were? Like, oh, fucking hell, that's uh, Simon Amstel off of a telly. Yeah, a, a couple, but, right. you know, it was, a, it was a sort of safe therapeutic space. It wasn't No, I think this is amazing. Again. I'm saying this with zero judgment. I'm just trying to literally create a picture for myself in my head to prepare myself okay. for when I, I eventually jump into off, this. If it helps the picture. That would be really great, especially on a podcast. I feel like that's most, <laughs> <laughs> most important. Um, so, okay, so you're in a room, there are 20 people. This is a kind of prime situation where even if you know you're in a therapeutic space, one might feel self-conscious. But yeah, sure. Ayahuasca... So that was part of, the, that was part of the, uh, the journey, the healing. That was part of the, the lesson, really. The question that came up, really, in this ceremony was, what's, like, not as a question, but like I felt it, what's more important to you, the shame that you feel or the pleasure that you could feel? And so... Is this when have, you is this when you use your finger? There's <laughs> a holding back on that little yeah. anecdote, but yes. So my so I was totally naked. I've been like, cool. If you really want it, I I've, want it. I've been called to uh, take all my clothes off by the medicine. She speaks to you sometimes. Uh, what does her voice her. sound like? Does it, is there a voice? Is there a? It's not. A, it's it's a feeling. It's a sort of. It's a compulsion. And you go with it because you're told at the retreat, surrender, accept, trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you feel this compulsion to take all your clothes off. And you do. And it's not like it's not worrying. You know, you are there with people. Nobody has said in the like build up to this, you might end up naked. They've spoken about the throwing up and the pulling. But um, so this is like, oh, is this okay? Also, we've been told for two weeks before and for two weeks after, not allowed to have any sex. And I'm now about to, beyond my own control, my finger is about to, I promise you, beyond my control, like move its way into my perineum. <laughs> now, obviously, the perineum is just like a bit of like skin. You can't push anything into. But I had a vision of my finger being <laughs> like slipping into a new hole. <laughs> and... Um, I could, and, and it was embarrassing because as this happened, it wasn't just like a private act. I started making these very loud orgasm sounds. So loud, the woman next to me eventually made this noise. <clears throat> and, <laughs> and I felt a bit bad for her, but I was in such a shame excavating moment. I just turned to her and in my head said, this is nothing to do with you and carried on. And as I like continued to penetrate this new hole, rainbows were flying out of my body. This like, ecstatic pleasure that I was experiencing taught me, I don't need this shame. I don't need this shame. This pleasure is much better. I think I had felt a little bit like, I 
better keep some of this shame and anxiety because what will I write without it? But I considered it in that moment. I was like, I think I'll be able to write about some other things. And I thought, I don't need this shame anymore. And I Mm. let it all out of my body. And um, to the point that I'm like, just jumping around now naked and dancing and making these like crazy animal noises and Can laughing. you give me an example of an animal noise that you may have made? Well, so I just, well, they, they were kind of, they were primal. They weren't like, it wasn't like an impression of like a, a rhino. So you're not, was, you're not throwing out a kind of, ah! No, it was no. just something, something is like being released out of my body. Fuck. And then this lady who's like moderating the whole thing comes over and says, Simon, we're all finding you very amusing, but the ceremony has finished. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> and then were you able to still not have any shame in that moment? Oh yeah, well there's some shame came the next morning because I <laughs> I was no, I was like, okay, that's okay, I'll just I just lie down and I, I lay down for a while. And then the next morning I told my story to the group and then somebody raised their hand. You know, I, I spoke about how like I feel like I've been carrying around all this shame and maybe part of the difficulty of getting older has been that I've been like getting further and further away from this lost, anxious boy who needed to be helped. And this person raised her hand and said, um, obviously I support Simon fully on his journey, but to me, it just sounded like a man stopping and starting masturbating for four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then the guy in charge of the retreat, like the guy running the whole thing said, yeah, actually, Simon not really on. And I was like, oh no, did I not explain it properly? It wasn't a physical hole. It was a spirit hole. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's okay then. Fucking hell. That's, I, I feel like they all need to do a bit more ayahuasca. Maybe. maybe. That's what well, I feel. I, well, I'm, I think what it shows you is that, that everyone has sh- their own perception, right? Everyone has their own, like, everyone has their own story going on. And for this, for this woman, it, well, it was, you know, it probably triggered something from her own life, but I felt like that's probably a good thing because then you can deal with that thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And then, but then the guy, I think he just hadn't heard me properly, but at the end of that retreat, it was just, incre- it was just incredible. I looked in the one mirror that was there and I didn't look old or young, just looked so happy. So then what's life. And so, so has this all been in the kind of like last year and a half? Has this been like during... COVID. This was like just pre-lockdown. It was, right. yeah, it's lucky I went uh, because we were taught to surrender and you really had to surrender during the pandemic. And and also luckily I was able to sort of continue some of the work with magic mushrooms, which are available in this country growing out of the ground. <laughs> Not legal, of course. Not legal, but I think they will be legal at some point. So I feel yeah, like... Yeah, they, they should be. They yeah. should be. You can't be arrested oh, yeah. for something that's going to be legal soon. Can you? No. <laughs> Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
of a detour. I think, yeah, I think, I think we should all probably, anyone who's listening to this is now, because it's so hard to not feel so intoxicated by the way that you talk about it. I mean, these things are such, especially as British people, like it's so amazing to hear someone just kind of strip themselves, literally strip themselves of their shame. And you speak about it with such like euphoria uh, and there's so much like joy radiating out of you. Uh, that it's hard to not just want to go and do it right now, just book it right now and go and do it. But I think we should all probably do our research, prepare ourselves that some people have a a bad trip or whatever. I think if they take the wrong amounts, I think it's really important to go to people who are responsible and careful and experienced to make you feel safe, as Simon was saying, and, um, and just kind of, you know, wait till we feel ready. So, so how do you feel now? I mean, the world is still a terrifying place. The news is still petrifying. Everything is stressful how is your how is your head like how are you feeling i think i feel all the things that we're supposed to feel now as human beings Mm -hmm. so it actually isn't about getting to a place of happiness if i feel tired (laughs) it's like oh yeah of course you feel tired and uh and also i've got like a way of um i have a way of communicating with myself now that i didn't have before i talk to myself in a very loving kind way i stroke my own arm sometimes and say <laughs> you're doing really well <laughs> you were so funny <laughs> that's so nice yes i do that because sometimes it's like tiring being on tour i remember i did like i, I did this like talk at a university and then there was like a lunch with the students then there was a show and then the next day i had a matinee and like that night i like stroked my own arm maybe this was the first time i did it and i said you're so great at the lunch and at the talk and at the, you, you've you've done so well you've got one or two more shows tomorrow and then we've got three days off all right and i was like okay i can do it and it was like i did that with myself it's like nuts whereas before it would have been i wouldn't have even had that communication and sometimes when i'm this is the other thing i learned from the retreat when you are triggered it's not so important what is triggering you the person who said the thing or whatever it is what within you has been triggered and so when something causes me any sadness now, I quite quickly have a little chat with myself about what, what it's reminding me of, what's really going on here. I don't think it's about that random person on the street. I think it's, it's oh, it's reminding me of when I was 13 and da 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 So... And then um, what do you do with that? So then it's like, oh, great. Oh, so it's, a, it's an opportunity for healing. Thank goodness this lunatic person has upset me because I get to heal this bit of me that, um, this bit of trauma that was never addressed. Trauma is a big word there, but you know, and, um, and so I go, and so I, so I've, so I've had the memory. (laughs) I've had the memory. And then I go, Oh, how are you doing? 13 year old Simon. Nobody's probably ever said this to you, but that must've been really hard when that happened. And then my kid self goes, oh, it was hard. I had no one to talk to. I was like, oh, you, do, you, do you want to talk to me now? All right, then. And then we have a little chat about it. And then that pain it dissipates because it's been addressed. 
God, it's almost like whenever people talk about, and God knows, I mean, ghosts or anything exists, but like a spirit that can't move on whatever to the other world because it's got like, you know, like something that it needed to communicate it, needed said. It kind of feels a bit like that. Like we're haunted by the sort of like ghosts of our younger selves until we can just sort of release them by letting them say their piece or just feel seen. Yeah, that's it. That's great. That's so, that's so interesting to me. That's so interesting. What like a profound relationship you've kind of developed with, with the younger self that you found. So, um, hard to accept when you were yourself young. That's so, that's so beautiful, Simon. Oh, thanks. I really enjoyed this podcast. I mean, not that it's finished, but I I think, uh... (laughs) Bye. Uh, (laughs) no, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. God, you've really... Uh, like moved, like moved me and inspired me because I think this is, I think I, I think I'm trying so hard to be kind to my younger self, but I just, I just keep ignoring her at all costs, which is what she hates the most. So I think that you've inspired me to do better and work harder, which is good. Oh, I find great. this so fascinating. And so has yeah, this impacted good, all it? of your relationships as well? Like, have you become a more present or person? Have you become more forgiving of others in having become more forgiving of yourself? Yes. I mean, I still get triggered. Things still come up, like, especially with my family. Like I was with my family recently and I, I became just so angry. <laughs> and I, I just had to say to my boyfriend, but it was really good because it, it, I just said, I'm, I feel really angry. And he he sorted it all out. He like took over and uh, it was good. I expressed how I was feeling and then some action occurred and it was like, oh, okay, this is all right. So I guess what I'm saying is it's still, these things, they still pop up, you know. It's but like, you have coping mechanisms now. Yeah, I know. And I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm feeling and I'm, uh, yeah, it's too, it, it's that feeling of, um, that feeling of repression is too familiar. I just, I know it too well now and I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. And I also like in reading about you and, and for this podcast, like in reading about how you've been like feeling about everything over the last couple of years, something you said that I'm working so hard towards doing myself is that you've started to, and pardon me for paraphrasing this appallingly, but you've started to notice that when you feel feelings of discomfort, you can separate them from yourself and recognise that I am not this thing. I am simply feeling this thing. Oh, yeah. Do you I know what that. I mean? Like, yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, um, but I think that that's something that we all kind of maybe intellectually know. It's just like, I am not my anxiety. I am not my depression. But deep down, a lot of us feel like we are controlled by it, navigated by it, imprisoned by it. And that it is fundamentally a part of ourselves. That's why we get so mad at ourselves. I'm like, why can't you just cheer up? Why can't you just enjoy something? Why can't you just let go of this addiction or whatever that thing may be? And I think that there's something so self-compassionate and self-aware and lucky about being able to get to a space where you can just like on a, in a fundamental, like deep level of yourself, not just intellectually, you can sort of in your soul, your gut understand that, right, this is just a temporary thing I'm going through and I feel confident that I can work my way through it. So tell me about the show Spirit Hole and what people can expect. I mean, it's some of these things that you are talking about, the themes that you're talking about, but... Yeah, it's about, it's a lot of it's about shame, a lot of it's about getting older and not being able to cope with that. I'm looking at the post notes on my wall to check uh, what the other (laughs) topics are. Yeah, there's that whole story of going to Peru and drinking ayahuasca. There's a bit about going to a Berlin sex club to check that we really have got over our shame. 
And there's a bit about magic mushrooms. And then there's quite a lot about um, men, sort of masculinity and that kind of thing, which I sort of hadn't intended to write, but it sort of all came out of me. And then just like, wouldn't stop. I started talking about how the pressure that men are on to appear to be men. And then uh, it, wouldn't, it, w- it wouldn't stop. It was really, I'd sort of never had that before with a, with a bit of stand-up. It was always like a bit like, okay, this little joke here can go next to that one. This just sort of like kept, like so much wanted to be said. And it, it's like one of my favourite bits of the show. Well, it's like you've unblocked a dam, isn't it? By getting rid of the shame, you've just sort of like just lifted. <sighs> yeah. Lifted whatever was like barricading how you really feel. Like for these things to compulsively come out of you, I think is really cool. I also think that's a really important subject. Um but I, uh, I was wondering, is this was the sex club Bergheim? It was yes, it was the uh, it, it was like the hardcore basement of Bergheim. Oh, you went into the basement. Yeah, I, I didn't go into the basement because uh, <laughs> my boyfriend went once and he got down there and someone was frying poo in a frying no! pan. <laughs> And so after he told me that, he was just like, it was just kind of one of those kind of your like deepest, darkest sort of fantasy type nights. And and I never want to shame anyone. If you want to fry your poo, you fry your poo, babe. You know, like you live. But I uh, I I didn't even know they had a hob. I, didn't, I, I, didn't I know, know someone had a hob and they were frying poo in a pan. Um, wow. Maybe it was one of those like um, campfire ones where you bring your own. Do you know what I must mean? Must have been, must have been. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so after that, I was too afraid to ever go down there. But how come your boyfriend went? Well, he just wanted to know what was downstairs. He was like 23. He'd gotten into Bergheim. Oh. Obviously, it's a very big deal if you can get into Bergheim because they're very uh, picky about who they let in. They won't let in the people that you maybe think they would let in, like the people who turn up trying to look cool. Like the the doorman is very specific about whether or not he senses you are right for Bergheim. It's so yeah. intense. I think we so, got very lucky. Yeah, well, I mean, so did James and I, but I stayed upstairs in the rave bit when I went. I didn't want, I was afraid of the basement. Um, so I, I can't wait to see your show, um, learn about what happened in the the dangerous basement of the dangerous dungeon <laughs> of, um, of Berghain. Is there anything else left on your list then of like things that you would like to achieve when it comes to how you feel? Are you like, oh, I hope I let go of this or do you feel like you're pretty content with how you are now? Um, part of the show is trying to figure out if uh, my boyfriend and I should have a baby. That's a that's that's a current conundrum. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Should we have a baby? I think you'd be a wonderful dad. I don't want children. Um, not that you're asking me to have them with you. Uh, but I'm just saying we, we, that we take I, an egg. Have you got I, an egg? I'm sure I've got many eggs. Uh, <laughs> what 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 a crazy evolution to uh, our relationship that would be. <laughs> <laughs> me being afraid of you for 10 years and then just giving you my egg um I uh no I I don't know like I can't I, I think it just has to be one of those things where you should do it if you feel as though your life is lacking in the absence of a child because it's such oh. a ginormous responsibility that I don't think that's a decision that should be made intellectually I think it should be one that's made because there is a feeling of not even necessarily something as dramatic as an emptiness but like a real want of like this house isn't complete like we we need to expand our little family like I think there really has to be like a a yearning for that so that it circumnavigates the natural resentment of not sleeping for a few years is that fair to say does that sound too I harsh? just wonder if it has to but could it come from like couldn't it come from there's so much love in this house? We've, it's overflowing and it could go towards a baby as well. 
Totally. That sounds great. If you feel as though that there's the love is just sort of ping ponging around and it's not being <laughs> like absorbed enough, uh, then I totally get it. But I'm so the wrong person to ask this to because I'm so, okay. so not there yet in my brain. You're in a more beautiful, like open space of like, I have all this love that I, I just want to give. Uh, I'm yeah. Not I, I need to do ayahuasca it. and then we'll talk again. Yeah. Let's see. See what happens after the, um, the Until then, send me your address and I'll pop you an egg. Yeah? Thank you. Okay. No yeah, worries. First class, because maybe, or, I don't know, dry or will it dry? <laughs> hopefully I mean, not. You have hopefully to, not. Has to I'll be do, frozen. We'll do FedEx. It's fine. Um, okay, great. Okay, great. So, Simon, before you go, and this has really Hi, been a I'm, joy, uh, will you just tell me what do you weigh? <laughs> <laughs> the impulse is to just tell you why I weigh. I know. Everyone <laughs> does. Everyone wants to... Um, everyone wants to give me the number. <laughs> I do That's not so want funny. the number. Okay, I, here's here's what I think. Here's here's the answer. Uh, I did a uh, a charity. I was hosting a charity event, and like I wasn't doing it very well. And Richard Curtis was in the audience, and uh, he sort of. I, I mean, I say I wasn't doing it very well. I think I just sort of kept saying things that were like funny and true, but the audience sort of weren't in the mood for that. And I couldn't, like, be more professional and, like, give them the good time that I, I, I could have done, maybe. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, the thing about you is you can't not tell the truth. And I thought, oh, that is it. It's, and it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying for a, a situation like this that I, I can't just, like, turn on some sort of uh, Mr. Entertainment host mm. persona, but I think that's it. I think I like can't not tell the truth, and so that's why uh, I would say I what, what's the thing I weigh? I weigh that I I tell the truth. Whatever's like going you, on, if this if you know, even if the situation doesn't feel correct for it, I still end up telling the truth, and I love doing that. It heals me. It feels like it's healing the audience, and. Um, I'm I'm not interested in anything else other than the truth. I love that. I love your uh, dedication to radical honesty. It's so oh, inspiring. It's, it's a better um, sentence than my long yeah. anecdote. <laughs> I, uh, I find it so inspiring, even though I will never get away with it the way that you do. <laughs> All right. Well, once, you to, oh, exactly. once you get that hat. Once you get that um, Simon, you're such a joy. It's been so nice to get to know you in this truly very public, odd way. Um, yeah, but, you too. Uh, but it's, um, it's really just been so eye-opening and inspiring. And, uh, and I so look forward to all of your future work. And I also just want to say how much I love the fact that you continue to move on from things that you've mastered and continue to take on new pursuits and challenge yourself. It's something that I do that I'm constantly discouraged from doing. And I, I think that you've been someone that I've always kind of looked across the pond to for someone who just keeps being like right no I've done that and I've become good at it and whenever you become good at something I think especially in media they say well now keep doing it because you can keep making money from it but there's a part of your brain that starts to die however exciting and cool that job not to diminish the job it's, uh, itself mm, mm. um but I've moved I've just jumped career again and again and again and jumped straight into the deep end and just allowed myself to be as like vulnerable and freaked out as possible and it has led me to so much happiness and fulfillment and new experiences and and I really thank you for being an example of doing that. Oh, thanks. I feel like you're now an example to me. 
as well. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, good. I'm just going to strongly advise against that if I were you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Simon. Have a great thank day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWeigh. Lastly, over at iWeigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWeighPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. Ai Wei, a business owner, a rape and PTSD survivor, succeeding as a female wildlife camera operator, children's liver disease survivor, a good listener, lonely, sister, a depressive, a National Geographic explorer, an activist, being 10 years into being probably James Blake's biggest fan, uh, I'm hypermobile. I have a phone phobia, so this is very difficult, and uh, my charity fundraiser. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.